Praise the Lord. Let's lift up our hands. There's a sweet presence of God here right now that I want us to focus on. I honor each and every one of you for tapping into the spirit, but let's do that together right now one more time before we go any further. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, that you have designed this night for you saw this particular night when you were hanging from the cross. God, you saw us here, God, and that's what motivated you to die on that cross because you knew there would be children like this in this room that would come and worship you. Father, meet with us here tonight in the name of Jesus. Oh. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you give the Lord a hand clap now? Just praise him, brag on him, thank him, exalt him, glorify him, all the things he deserves. Can we do that together right now by lifting up our voices with a shout? God, we love you. Hallelujah, I agree with my brother that there's been a shift here tonight and it feels good. I'm thankful to be in this house with you. Thank you, worship team, for being sensitive to the Holy Ghost and ushering us to the throne. And I, I agree, now is the time for the word, amen. I have said it before and I'll say it to those of you who are here tonight that maybe you haven't been here yet. I, I believe church works a lot better when we minister together. I think that's how it's supposed to work. I don't think, I know that's how it's supposed to work. We are to worship God together. And I know we've designed it to where one person stands behind a podium and it puts us into a position of just listening, but that's not how it works. Each and every one of you has giftings that God has not gifted me with. And if you will stir up those giftings within you while I stir up the giftings within me, I believe that we can accomplish much tonight in the spirit. And so I ask that you would do that with me tonight and we would accomplish a whole lot more in the spirit. So when you feel to begin interceding, please begin to intercede. If you feel to worship, let's worship. I believe that God would be pleased by that. Amen? Amen. I honor all of you for being here yet one more time. I'm humbled to be here with all of you. I'm thankful for what God is going to do here tonight. Genesis chapter 40. I'm going to go to verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have it on the screens. But if you do have a Bible, please hold it. In fact, I want you to keep your hands on that Bible all night tonight. After we're done reading, I want you to just set it on your lap and just hold on to it, okay? Genesis chapter 40, verse 19, very familiar passage. Uh, we've read this many times if you've been in church for any length of time. And so let's start. It says, within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. This is if you are just jumping in the middle here, this is Joseph speaking to the baker. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to him. 
I'm going to stop there and we're going to dig a little into that passage, but I want to minister this title, Let the Baker Bake. Now, I want you to hold that Bible in your hand. I want you to lift it up to heaven. Now, I want you to lift that other hand up and I want you to worship God right now and let's pray that God would speak to us this evening. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I intend to minister from your word. I intend to draw people closer to the word. I believe that your word is your face. I believe that every time we open the word of God, we behold your face. So, Father, I pray that we get that revelation tonight, that in our hands right now is the answer, that in our hands as we're praying is your presence, oh God. You manifest yourself with us in the flesh, but what you left with us when you departed to heaven on our behalf to prepare the place is, God, you left us your word. So, Father, let us fall in love with the word of God, for it is you, for your word tells us that that word was coming into the world. So, God, I want to revere you. I want to know you. I want to analyze you. I want to understand as much about you as I am capable of. But, God, I need your spirit to reveal to me what your word says. So let us worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I believe that much will take place, not just tonight, but in the future of the lives of those that are present. God, we give you glory because only you could do such a thing. So God, we will take no credit for whatever happens tonight and in the future, but we'll return it up to you, to the one whom it belongs. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Would you just give the Lord thanks for a moment? Would you go ahead and thank him in advance for his word? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can be seated. Deep within the recesses of a dark, drab Egyptian prison resides a young man filled with prophetic promise as well as brilliant potential. His life is riddled with extreme highs and extreme lows, His story begins as you begin to study the word of God with a dream. His life begins with God giving him just a tiny glimpse of the overall mission that was before him. The entirety of the mission was just laid out before this young man. God didn't show him everything that would befall him in between. He just showed him the end result, which still wasn't the entirety of the word. God would show Joseph his brothers bowing down to him, which is enough to get a 17-year-old in proximity to a call. God would appeal to the 17-year-old and say, if I tell him that his entire life will revolve around feeding a baby boy named Pharez that will come into the future through his brother Judah, I don't know that he'll be able to endure the prison. I don't know that he'll be able to endure the pit. I don't know if he'll be able to be sustained and humble in a palace. So I'll show him his brothers bowing down to him. This will be what will help him through the process of his life when he goes through extreme lows because his brothers will be the ones who throw him into a pit. And if I show him his brothers bowing someday, then that'll help him endure. But you understand that his brothers bowing down to him had very little to do with the overall plan. You see that there would be a famine in the future that God had his eyes on. And God also saw Judah's son named Pharez, whose name means breakthrough. And he knew that if Pharez as a baby during a famine doesn't get the wheat that would be stored away in a storehouse, Pharez would have died of starvation. Who cares, right? 
It matters when you read Matthew and you see that in the genealogy of Jesus is a boy named Pharez. Without Pharez eating a meal, Emmanuel is not with us. And so God looked and he said, I need to make sure Pharez has a meal. And to do this, I'm going to have to trust a 17-year-old kid, but I can't tell him about Pharez because that won't be enough to help him endure the pain. I'll tell him about his brothers bowing down. And God would appeal to this 17-year-old. And so he gives him this dream of his brothers bowing down, and he can't help but talk about his revelation. But such spiritual speech has a tendency, as he will soon find out, to get you in a world of trouble with people who aren't interested in your weird spirituality. Not only that, but when the Father gives you a mantle, carnal brethren will hate you for it. Alas, he cannot help but talk about what God has shared, and in doing so, his brothers drunk with anger plot against Joseph and decide Here's what we're going to do with this dreamer. We're going to throw him into a pit on account of the father's mantle and God's word. This pit will be his first experience of pain when you talk about what God has revealed into your life. Thoughts would go through his mind. I shouldn't have said anything. I should have kept the word to myself. All God's word has done this far in my life has got me into trouble. Speaking the word of God has brought pain. It's brought separation. It's brought frustration into my world. Joseph would experience his first extreme low, all on account of the word. This extreme low would last but for a season as he would find himself in Egypt when an Egyptian man named Potiphar would see clearly the hand of God on his life and decides to make him an overseer of his house. This would turn out to be a great choice because when you grab young men with prophetic potential and brilliant minds, you will see that God's hand upon them will bring blessings even to you. And so his household was blessed on account of this young man. Joseph is finally hitting one of his highs. Maybe living out the word and speaking the word isn't all that bad. Maybe living the word, maybe all the pain is over. Maybe the word does bring blessings and blessings only. Maybe I won't go through anything else on account of the word. He hits this high and begins to see that maybe it's not weird after all to have a revelation and to be a young man passionate about the word that God gave me. But this extreme high would last as long as the extreme low that preceded it when an adulterous spirit would lay her longing eyes upon the young man. And Joseph will all soon find out that having prophetic promise and brilliant potential can only get you so far. The adulterous Jezebel spirit controlling Potiphar's wife sets her affections on him in Genesis 39. It says it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused. Now, stop. You realize that Joseph refuses based off of what he felt within himself. He does not even have the Torah yet. There is no Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There is no Proverbs for Joseph. There's no Ecclesiastes. He doesn't have a gospel. He has nothing. He's living out the word that you and I benefit from right now. And this man would say, no. 
Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her, to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside, she caught him by his garment. So be the second time that a mantle gets a young man with prophetic promise and brilliant potential into trouble. And she cries yet again, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. I love the imagery that you can't help but see that to leave a garment in the hands of an adulterous woman, he had to have already been in the process of turning when she was approaching. Because if she would have grabbed him by the front, there would have been no escape. But as she approached, he was already in the process of turning so that when she grabbed the mantle, he said, I don't need the mantle if it's going to lead to sin. And he leaves it within her hands. Prophetic promise and brilliant potential have submitted to integrity. And integrity has given way to wisdom. And wisdom has whispered to Joseph, separation. All of this is we're starting to see now that prophetic promise is great. Brilliant potential is incredible. But when it submits to some things such as integrity and wisdom and separation, now we're starting to see a man of God emerge into the book of Genesis. But a mantle will precede yet another extreme low on account of the word. He's starting to see now that the word brings highs and lows. Blessed be the Lord. Here we find ourselves where we began in this sermon with a young man in a dark, drab Egyptian prison. This new extreme low will bring an astounding revelation to the young Joseph. I imagine that the thing that's helping him get through all of this is the thought of those guys that put me here are going to bow someday. The people that caused all of this, they're going to see someday. Little did Joseph know that this would just be a pixel in the overall picture of what God was showing. But yet God contends with a young man being motivated, albeit a little bit off. God looks and says, I trust a man with prophetic promise, brilliant potential, integrity, wisdom, and separation. I trust that he'll figure out the whole plan at the end. Give yourself a little bit of credit tonight that though you may not be fully glorified yet, you are in the process of submitting to the one who can glorify you. And you may not be where you feel you're supposed to be yet, but you can stop for a moment and look back and say, but I'm not where I was. And rejoice in where you are. Don't get caught up in where you're not. Stop and say, I'm not all the way there, but where I am is good as of tonight. And I will stop and rest for a moment and rejoice in where God has brought me. Everything God has taught you is beautiful, it is amazing, it is godly. It's not all that he will teach us, but it is what he has taught us up until this point. And we can testify, it is good. Genesis 39, 21 says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy 
And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, whoever they, whoever, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Why? Because this man has integrity. He has wisdom. He has separation. People can trust a man of God like this. Because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. God, thank you for teaching me all that you've taught me through the pit. Thank you for what you taught me in Potiphar's house. Thank you for what you're teaching me in the prison. Maybe this will lead me to a palace. In the process of a young Joseph, he would have pits, Potiphar's, prisons, and palaces. This may not be the fulfillment of what God showed me, but he's still with me. And as long as I remain a man of the word, then God will make me to prosper even in seasons of trouble. Even in extreme lows, I'd rather be low with the word than high without it. And I'm glad to be here as long as God is here. And I'm thankful that as long as I am here with God, then this is the will of God. But if I'm in a prison without him, then I've messed up somewhere. But as long as I'm here, I trust him because he knows what he's doing. The extreme lows are manageable so long as God is with us. The literal mantle may be in the hands of Jezebel, but the mantle God designed for me is still here. This fiery season was allowed, you understand, for a specific reason that would not only minister in the present, but also all the way into the Second Testament in Matthew we understand the depths of what Joseph was going through, through extreme highs and extreme lows. Joseph would never know the full extent of what God was doing until he looks down from heaven as a baby is born named Jesus. And he says, oh, I understand it better by and by. I know much better now why God allowed all of this. This was all so that I could store away grain so that my nephew, Pharez, could eat. I'm so glad I contributed to breakthrough living. God knows what he's doing. Because also within this dark, drab prison designed to wear out this young man were two individuals, a butler and a baker. Genesis 40 begins to introduce us to these individuals. Genesis 40, verse 4, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in the custody for a while. How can Joseph, the leader, the one over the prisoners, serve the prisoners? Oh, how Joseph has a revelation. He must truly be walking with God because only the Father could give such revelation that a man with position can serve those that are in the prison with him. He served them so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. Within the minds of the butler and the baker was revelation that needed a, represent, a representative of a younger generation to extract and tell. I'll say that again. In this prison was a young man with prophetic promise, brilliant potential, integrity, wisdom, and separation, and locked up inside of the minds of a butler and a baker was revelation. It was revelatory what was living within the minds of these two. And God saw fit 
that the way to extract that revelation will be if a young person with prophetic promise, brilliant potential, integrity, wisdom, and separation will inquire of the butler and the baker. There is tremendous truth and depth that is hidden within this passage. Verse 6 says that Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them. And notice what happened. He saw that they were sad. You, you understand that the precursor to the prophetic revelation flowing out of Joseph that would interpret or extract revelation from the minds of a butler and baker was concern. You, you understand that what gave way to the gift that was living within a young prophetic young man, what gave way to that gifting, what stirred the gifting up was something similar to fruit. Uh, you, I know this is, I'm going to take a segue for a minute. We have deposited all of our faith into the wrong attributes. You see, what we do is we, we do this. If, if you believe hard enough, you get the miracles. Well, there's only one problem with that is if you don't get a miracle, then you didn't believe hard enough. Guess who gets all the credit for all of that? You, God, this is, has nothing to do with God now. This is just all your faith. But did you know that the word faith is actually a word that looks backwards? It doesn't look towards the future. The word faith looks back on God's character in the past and says, well, he hasn't changed. So we put our faith in what God has done and we hope for what will be. These two work together, faith and hope. I've looked at what you're capable of, God, and I have hope for the future. Amen? But notice where we're supposed to put our faith. And I want us to stay within that, that thought process there of he saw that they were sad. And that's what stirred up the gift. There was a father that came to Jesus one day and he said, if you had compassion would you heal my son? And Jesus said, well, do you believe? Jesus wasn't asking him, do you have faith in my power? He's not insecure about his power. He doesn't need you to fill up his power gas tank with your faith. He's got plenty of fuel with or without us. What he was asking is, do you believe I have compassion? Because the question from the father was, if you had compassion, would you heal my son? Do you believe that I care enough to? Our faith is deposited not into his power, but into his compassion. I believe that he actually, this is what I tell myself every time I minister, I don't stress about what to preach. And here's why. Because I know that God loves the people more than I could ever possibly love them. And I always say, God, I know you want to talk to them more than I even want to say anything. And so I trust with every fiber of my being that you want to give these people a word. And so I believe that since I'm the one that's been asked to preach, you will speak through me to them because you love them that much. I'm putting my faith in his compassion now. And we're seeing this within the life of Joseph where Joseph looked at two individuals and he says, hey, I noticed, guys, y'all are a little down today. Is everything all right? So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody of his Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad today? Verse 8, they said to him, we each have had a dream and there's no interpreter of it. 
Little did they know that there would be someone with prophetic promise, brilliant potential, integrity, wisdom, and separation that would be in that room. But more than all of that, God was with him. And Joseph set his eyes on these two individuals and he begins to study their faces. And he knew that their faces were different than it had been days prior. And he looked and he says, whoa, that's something new. I haven't seen your faces like that lately. Is everything okay? He inquires of a butler and a baker. And through this inquisition, revelation comes. The revelation that was locked up inside the minds of these two came from a person analyzing the face of the butler and the baker. Due to this young man studying the face and saying, whoa, there's something, something there that I haven't seen. Tell me what's going on. And their minds were revealed to him. The butler and the baker were burdened because there was no one to interpret. The Hebrew word for interpret was, there's no one here that will explain what's on our minds. The butler and the baker was looking for someone who could explain what was locked up here. We need someone to articulate out what's on our minds. We have no one who will study. We have no one who will ask. We have no one who will explain. The young man quickly lets them know, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. I'm dying to know what revelations are locked up inside of you, Brother Butler and Brother Baker. I want to know the revelations that are on your mind. I want to know what God has put inside of you last night. I've studied your face, but now I want to go deeper than studying your face. I want to know what's on the mind. Tell me, please. I want to explain it. I want to study your face. I want to have the revelation, and I want to explain the revelation. So please tell me what's on your mind. Verse 9, then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, and its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, Here's the interpretation of it. The Lord's revealing things to me because I've studied your face and I've inquired of your mind. Now revelation's coming and I can explain what God is saying because God is the one who gives the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Now within, and I want you to pay close attention to the re repetition of three. And I want you to pay attention to a repetition of lift up because these are going to be important for future implications. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. The young man immediately gets a revelation by inquiring of this butler. He gets the revelation from God as he analyzes the face and the mind of the butler. And he tells him, on the third day, you're going to be lifted up. Restoration's going to happen. And when it does, there's going to be a cup in your hand. And that cup is going to be filled with ripe grapes producing a good wine. Joseph has a revelation of the one in charge of the wine. Excited to see that there's one with zeal to study the face and the mind of the butler and that the explanation was good. The baker immediately spills the revelation hidden within his mind as well. I also was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, here's the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off 
your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. The revelation of the baker would sound similar, but it would have a very different ending. He also would be lifted up on the third day, however, not his status, but his life. And he would be hung from a tree and the birds were seeking to devour this baker. Sure enough, Genesis 40, 20, the young man is now living out his prophetic promise. It's all coming to pass. It says that now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them. All of this takes place on the third day. On the third day, they are taken from a prison. They're both lifted up, one to his former position and he's put in charge of the wine. He's put him back, reinstated to his authority. And the other one is also pulled out of prison. He's lifted up, but he's lifted up on a tree. It's here that Pharaoh stands as a contrast to Joseph. He is Joseph's antithesis. He is the polar opposite of Joseph. You see, the young Joseph sought the face of the butler and the baker and had a revelation of the mind of both. And Joseph walks in a divine wisdom now that he could never get of his own because he truly understands God gives the interpretation. But due to inquisition of the faces and the minds of a butler and a baker, Joseph will be in proximity of revelation. Pharaoh, however, wanted the butler, not the baker. I want the wine, not the bread. He wanted a man to pour into his cup but he didn't want the man to bake. I want the feel good that I get from the wine. I want to be dulled. I want my, my senses a little hazy. It's my birthday after all. Give me the wine. It makes me feel great. I can do without the bread. I'm watching the carbs after all. Give me the butler, just not the baker. True to the dream of the baker, Pharaoh reached for the baked goods in the uppermost basket, but he was not willing to dig a little deeper into the second and the third baskets. There were three baskets of bread upon the head of that baker. And the surface, the surface level of the bread's enough for me. Away with you. You can have the other two dimensions of that bread. Just give me the uppermost and the butler. Keep the bread. We don't know the full weight of this revelation here. But when we get into the Second Testament, these passages were pointing forward to something that was coming into the world. Matthew 26, 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus' blood would now be the wine and in just three days he would be lifted up. He would be lifted up unto all authority and his life would also be lifted up as well. Little would Joseph know that he would be acting out on a grand stage play, the future big show that would come to town and all of this was pointing forward to Christ, Emmanuel with us who is here because of a young man with prophetic potential. 
All of this was pointing forward. And as Joseph would peer from heaven, he would see all of it was for a reason. But Joseph is in a unique position that all of us are called to. We are called to fall in love and to inquire the faces and the minds of a butler and a baker. We cannot allow the spirit of Pharaoh to sweep through our churches anymore. And God has been sending me throughout the movement to rebuke the spirit of Pharaoh. We want the blood of Jesus. We just aren't excited about the word of God anymore. Let the baker bake. I am looking for anyone who will sit up in the middle of the night and say, God, I'm so thankful for the blood that was shed on Calvary for me. But I would never know about that blood if it weren't for the baker. If it weren't for the bread of life, I would never know. I want to inquire of the face of the man who hung on that cross. And I want to plunge the depths of the great mind of that crucified Savior. I want to know what the blood tastes like. And I want to get a revelation the same way that Paul did. As I'm sure he's taking communion and he stops and he says, you know what I taste in the fruit of this cup? I can taste nine flavors in the cup of the blood. I taste the flavor of joy. I taste some love. I taste some peace. I taste the patience that it took for, to endure that cross. I want to taste every single tasting note of the fruit of Jesus's blood. But I don't want just the blood. I want the bread as well. It's not enough for me. I want, to, and I want to look upon the face of God. And here's what I know. It tells us that his word was coming into the world. It says in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and this word was with God. And this word became flesh. This is God right here. This is the body right here. And when this is inside of the body, when the body of Christ eats the body of Christ, we become the body of Christ. But you cannot become his body without his word. I am dying to find the people of God that will wake up in the middle of the night and say, I want to know what's in the word of God. I want to analyze the face of the baker. And I want to know what's on the mind of the baker. I want to let this baker bake. When you understand that would be attracting to those priests as the priests would go into that holy tent of meeting. They could smell the bread as it was baking in there. And when they walked in, there would be an attraction. They said, oh, we get to eat the bread in the presence of God. Now that Jesus is our high priest, is he walking through each of our minds and does he smell bread? That's what I want to know. Does he walk through the minds, the corridors of this holy place? You understand that Jesus has done away with the temple. You and I are the temple now. This is my outer courts. It's supposed to be lowly. It's supposed to be humble, but then this is the inner courts. And when he walks into the inner courts of my mind, I want him to smell bread all day long. I want to be meditating on the word of God. I want to be talking about the word of God. When I'm around sinners, I want to talk about the word. When I'm around my brothers, I want to talk about the word. When I'm with my kids, I want to talk about the word. When I'm with my wife, I want to talk about the word because I know that my high priest is walking through the corridors of my mind. And when he does, does he 
smell the baking of bread up there? Or does he smell the absence of it because I don't eat scripture anymore? You understand that there are 31,102 verses nestled within the mind of this baker right here. And do you know that if you relied on church only to get the bread just on Sundays and Wednesdays, and let's just assume for math's sake that the preacher would preach an average of seven verses per service. That's 14 verses a week. Do you know how long it would take you to go through all 31,102 verses? It will take you 42.12 years to get on the mind of God, to understand the depths of his revelation for you. It would take you 42 years. I love church. I'm thankful for preaching. It's through the foolishness of preaching that we are saved. I'm thankful for all this. I don't want to do away with it, but hear me right now. This is not enough. On Monday, you've got to have some bed, some bread baking. On Tuesday, you're going to have to get into the Word. On Wednesday, I have this thing that I tell people all the time. When people are doing things, when they're warring and they're divided and they're, they're just hurting each other, I look at people and I say, you know, we could fix all of this if we just read our Bibles. Because the Bible has the solution to all of this. There is a solution on how to parent in there. You know where? you People ask me all the time, they say, how did you and your wife make it through grief after the loss of a child? I look at them and I say, it was because of the prayers of the saints. It was because of God who picked us up and handed us to the church, but it was because of his word. You understand, I didn't even know how to pray after my son passed away. So you know what I did? I sat down and I said, God, I don't know the right words to say, but I know you do. And I read my Bible for eight hours a day. For eight hours a day, I was eating the bread of life. I am here standing in front of you as a result of how powerful that book is. It kept my mind. It kept my peace. It revealed to me things of heaven. And I said, okay, God, if that's what you're preparing for me and that's where my son is, I can continue living for you. I am a result of the word of God. It's not enough for me, though, to just look at his face on a Sunday and a Wednesday when the preacher's preaching the bread. I want to know what's on the mind of that baker as well. I want to let the baker bake we're hitting a strange time in our world we want what feels good and we love preaching grace and it is so beautiful and doctrinal but that's not all that's in that book there's so much in this book this book has ruined my life as well because I have a disposition of pride. And this book told me that I'm not allowed to have that. It is a dual-edged sword. That word for sword in Hebrews translates to filet knife. And it's intentional why it's saying that because it's talking about Christ, our high priest. And it says that the word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's dividing asunder the thoughts and intents of the heart. What it's doing is it's talking about the, the fillet knife that the high priest used when it was carving the lamb. I'm the sacrifice. This is the knife that is removing my flesh off of me, cutting the guts out, and getting me prepared to be offered unto God. This word offends me as much as it defends me. This book reads me as much as I read it. It's revealing things about me as much as it's revealing to me things about him. 
I'm looking at it and I'm reading the life of Christ and I say, oh God, I don't act like that. But I want to. And then the Lord tells me about His Spirit leading and guiding me. There's this passage in this great book that has been bothering me for quite some time. There's a young man who's sitting at a pool one day. He's at the pool of Bethesda. It's a young Jewish boy. He's sitting next to this pool. And you understand that this was a, a pagan pool. I know that we like to, to interpret it as the angel stirred the water. But angel translates to both sides, by the way. Angels everywhere in the Bible don't have wings either, by the way. Just, anyway, we're not going to go off into the spirit stuff there. We'll do that another time. But we have studied through archaeology that that was a pagan pool that was set up as a dedication to one of the Roman gods. And now we've got a devout Jewish boy who's probably tried everything, and now he's going to the world to try and get a solution to his healing. And Jesus comes to that pool on Sabbath. Jesus should be, if he's devout, at a synagogue. But Jesus is choosing life over the law right now, and he goes to a young man at a pagan pool. And there's Jesus, and he says, do you want to walk? Yes, but I have no one to put me into the pool. And he's like, hey, we ain't worried about that pool. There's one greater. Take up your bed and walk. It means nothing to us Westerners until you realize that to carry your bed on Sabbath is breaking the law. And so Jesus does something a little, a little frustrating, I'm sure, for the young man, a little terrifying. He says, go and show yourself to the Pharisees. And so there he goes with his bed, and he runs up to him, and he tells the Pharisees, he goes, I was healed today. Pharisees couldn't care less. Who healed you? Who told you to carry this bed on Sabbath? We need to abide by the law. I don't know who healed me. What do you mean you don't, you don't know Jesus? He's well advanced in his ministry by this point. You haven't heard of Jesus? It's likely that this young man was protecting Jesus from being turned into the authorities by telling him to carry his bed on Sabbath. And so, he tells him, I don't know who healed me. And Jesus goes back to the synagogue, which tells me that those that like to throw out the commandments, because Jesus did it, don't read all of the Bible. Because Jesus chose life over the law for a moment, but he goes right back to that law. And he says, there's wisdom in the law. There's, no, there's not salvation in it, but there's wisdom in it. So I'm going to go back to that. But for a moment, I'm going to choose life over the law. Now that the life's been preserved, I'm going back to the law. And guess who shows up at the synagogue? The young man who was healed. And he meets a very different Jesus. You understand, he met a gracious, loving Jesus who met him at a pagan pool on Sabbath. And he shows up at the synagogue and Jesus looks at him and he says, go get the sin out of your life lest something worse come upon you. Whoa. That's a different Jesus than met me at the pool. I thought you were going to let me do whatever I wanted to do. You, after all, was breaking Sabbath. You, after all, was at the pagan pool. I thought you was cool, Jesus. I thought you was going to be that cool preacher in sneakers, Jesus. I thought you was going to be that relevant, Jesus. No, you met the wine. Today you're meeting the bread. You know what the young man does? He tells the Pharisees, hey, Jesus healed me. You know what that tells me about the character of that young man? I want to walk, just not with Jesus. 
I want the wine. I just don't want the bread. I want church and I want fellowship and I want to feel good. I want the spirit. I want all that stuff. Just don't tell me what the word says. We have got to mature. I want to be like that woman who Jesus stood in front of stones for and told her, her accusers, you without sin, cast the first stone. You're getting my wine right now. But then he turns, he says, now for the bread, go and sin no more. And she obeys and becomes, from all we can tell, a disciple. That's what God's looking for. Someone who is preserved by the grace of God. You understand that when you get Jesus, you get mercy and truth. You cannot divide from him his truth from his mercy. I want all of his mercy. I want to preach his mercy. I want to preach his love. I want to tell people about the cross. I want to tell people about the blood that was shed on Calvary on behalf of my sins. I want to tell people about the Jesus that said, forgive them for they know not what they do. I want to tell them about the Lord who died and because he loved us while we were yet sinners. But while I'm preaching that, I better be a balanced preacher through studying that word that there's also a lot of stuff in there that doesn't agree with me. There's a lot of things that don't agree with the way I want to do things. It tells me how I should act. It tells me that I should bear fruit. It tells me that I need to be kind and I have to stop and say, God, I want to inquire of the face of the butler and I also want to know what's on the mind of the baker. I want to have a full revelation. I want to know the full image of God. I want to know your gracious side, but I want to know the side that asks me of some things that I don't want to do. I want to have every bit of you. I don't want the spirit of Pharaoh who says, Fill my cup up so that I can feel good today and say, away with you, baker, hang on a tree. I just want your blood. I don't want your bread. I want to be a mature church that says, give me every bit of Jesus. Give me the blood of Jesus and give me his word. And not just the word as it fits my preference, but I want the word as it fits its own preference. I don't want to twist this scripture to prove my agendas. I want to get rid of my agendas to fit the word. I want the word to teach me. I want it to reprove me. I want it to exhort me. I want it to correct me. I want it to encourage me. I want to inquire of everything. I want to let the baker bake. There is this profound problem here or this 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 revelation here rather is where we have a butler and we have a baker and the baker has three dimensions of bread stacked on his head and what I can analyze if I could use this as an illustration it seems as though we're okay with the top basket we're okay with I know there's one God great the devils know that too and they tremble at that revelation the devils do better than we do because we don't even tremble at it anymore. The revelation we do have, we're not even humbled by it anymore. If anything, we're arrogant because we say we have truth and they don't. We're not even humbled by our revelation. That's the point of revelation is it gives, it's given to us and we step back and we say, oh, what wisdom, what understanding, what knowledge. Oh God, what is man that you would reveal such powerful things to me? I'm wanting to have a revival that Nehemiah had in Nehemiah 8.6 and Nehemiah 9.3 is that when he stood up, all they did was read the law. And when the law went forth, the Bible said all the Israelites fell to their knees and and they worshiped at the sound of the reading of the Bible. We have to push people nowadays to worship with something that actually provokes our emotions. Music. 
I want to know if we can worship to something that offends our emotions. That when a preacher just gets up, this is what I'm longing for and I'm believing for it and I believe that God is going to let us see it before he returns. I want to just step behind a podium and flip to a scripture and at the first word, the people fall and say, my ears are not worthy to hear such profound words for that is the presence of God incarnate. This is God. Every word that's in here, when a preacher ministers the scripture, at the opening text, I want to lift up my hands and say, God, my ears are worthy to hear your voice. I want to be like Isaiah, that he fell down and he said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. I want to be so humbled by this word that when I open it up and I read, I move to tears without any emotional upheavals, without anything provoking me, without any raised voices, just me and the break, the baker. And when I read a word, I want it to move me to such an emotional level that I begin to shiver. These, these things have changed my life. I went in and I sat down with my grandpa, Brother Juan Diaz. I'm half Hispanic and I sat down with, with Papa Diaz. And I didn't know that I only had about eight or nine hours left with this man on this planet. And this is my hero, Juan Diaz. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the unknown T.W. Barnes. Not everybody knows Juan Diaz, but this man was as powerful as T.W. Barnes. And there he would be. He would be laying on his third hospital bed that I've seen him lay on. The first hospital bed, at the age of 70, he got into a car accident where the entire left side of his body was crushed. And he's laying there on the hospital bed. He's got one arm that isn't broken. And my backslidden aunt walked into the hospital room and she said, I don't understand why God would allow. And he raised that, broke, that hand that wasn't broken. And he said, don't you talk about my Lord. He said, I am honored to have been chosen for the fire. That's the type of man Juan Diaz was. And now he's on his third hospital bed and he's laying there in the same, they know better now. They don't ask why would God because Juan Diaz would shut it down. And so there he was laying and I went and I grabbed his hand and I said, Papa, I want you to know. I said, I'm not gonna let go of truth. Every time I was around him, he would have a joke with me. He'd say, hey, mijo, do you still believe in one God? And I said, yes, sir, I believe it. Every, every fiber of my being. He said, you still baptized in Jesus' name? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, do you still read the word of God? I said, yes, sir. He said, Okay. There he was laying on that hospital bed. I grabbed his hand and I said, Papa, I still believe in the oneness of God. He said, good. I said, I still believe in the name of Jesus. He said, good. He said, are you reading the word? I said, yes. And I asked him, I said, Papa, are you afraid of dying? He looked at me and he quoted from memory, Job 38 through 40. And as he's quoting verse by verse from memory, this man taught himself English by reading the Bible. He quotes it and he gets to the end where Job talks about the fear of the Lord. And he looks at me and he says, no, I fear the Lord. And I said, Papa, what advice do you have for a young man like me? He looked at me, he grabbed my hand and he said, when you open that book, you behold the face of God. He said, tremble at his word. Do you understand? This is the most sacred thing in every household right now. 
that when you open it up, you look at the face of God Almighty. And I want to know his face. I want to know what's on his mind. I want to inquire because this baker is begging, would somebody inquire of my face? Would somebody ask me? Would someone speak to me and say, Speak to me. Tell me what's on your mind and I will reveal it to you. And will you go and explain it? The world is dying for people to read their Bibles, get revelation from God, and then go tell it. You understand that Peter could not. Peter had no idea. He would have no idea what was going on in Acts had he not read Joel 2.28. You don't know what this is. Unless you have studied that. And so if I'm not studying that, I won't know what is coming. The end times will come upon me and I'll just be wandering about like nothing's going on. I'll be, I'll be drinking and getting drunk and I'll be giving into marriage as Jesus said it would be as it was in the days of Noah. So will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They will be drinking and marrying and, and going about life. But if I can read that, I can stop and say, whoa. This looks a whole lot like that. And I can prepare my household. I can prepare my families. I can prepare myself. And I can begin to rest in the salvation that God has given me. But I don't get any of that. You understand that in Romans alone, the Bible is quoted 86 times. You realize that Jesus, when he was on the cross, quotes two scriptures from Psalms. A man dying is still, he must have truly been the word to quote it while people are persecuting him. I want to know from myself, can I quote the word even in persecution? So I'm not satisfied with just the first basket. Oh, it's good. There's some good baked goods up there. But I want to dig into that first basket. And I want to, I want to extract everything I can from that top basket. And I want to get to the second basket. And I want to consume everything that's in that basket as well. And I want to get to the third basket. And I want to inquire. And I want to, I want to consume everything that's in the third basket. And when there's no more baskets, I want to look at the face of the baker and say, now tell me what's on your mind. I have gone from the first, the second, the third dimension of revelation. I want to know what's on your mind now. Speak to me. Tell me. And I believe that every time I study the word of God, it just keeps going down further and further and further. I have yet to reach the bottom basket. I'm convinced there's not one. I don't think there is a bottom basket to it. I just keep going down further and further. And I just say, oh my God, it just keeps going. There's more and more revelation to be had. And every time I study, I'm more encouraged. I am more convinced. You, If the Bible said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I would believe it. At this point, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist because of that book right there. That book has changed me. It, it challenges me. It encourages me. I'm looking for anyone that would grab that Bible you've been holding on to all night. And would you hold it up right now? I had somebody come to me recently after I preached for 45 minutes. A young man came to me and he said, the Lord told me you got a word for me. I sat there for a minute and I said, I just gave you like 45 minutes of word. Dear God. And so I said, I don't have a word for you, but let me pray about it. I went back the next night, and this is what he did. He found, he found me again. He said, you've got a word for me, don't you? I said, I do have a word for you. I absolutely, I've been praying about this. He said, hit me with it. Even if it hurts, even if it's bitter, like gall in my stomach, give me the word, he said. I said, all right. I said, here's the word from God. I'm your brother, not your daddy. 
Go and inquire of the Father, the Word. He's got the Word for you. What you're doing is you're relying on me to sustain you. You need to go to the fridge and eat yourself. You need to go and consume that Word. It's not saying you will never have need of, of shepherds. You'll never have need of the fivefold. But hear me right now. If you're in here and you're a minister, I'm going to give you some advice. You know what our job is, according to Ephesians? It's for the equipping of the saints. And guess what you and I need to do better at? We need to understand that Word and tell Tell them the word so that they can fall in love with the word, go live the word, and do the same thing for somebody else that you did for them. Our job is to be eat up with the word of God. I want to live it. I want to eat, sleep, and breathe the word of God. I want people to be, I want people to look at me and just be like, shut up talking about the word. And I look at them and say, I don't know how to. I'm eat up with it. Would you hold that Bible up? And I want there to be a healthy conviction that floods this room that the word of God in your life is the presence of of God. We don't have him walking in the flesh. He decided in this dispensation of time to give us that book that's in your hand. That is God that you're holding. I wonder if you would tremble when you open it up knowing I'm looking at the face of God and my eyes are not worthy to see such beauty and wonder. My ears are not worthy to hear such words. Oh God, let me fall in love with this book. Let me consume it. Let me eat it. God, I want to analyze your face. I want to get revelation and I want to teach revelation. Stand to your feet. Go to Genesis 41 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven plentiful years. And let him gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land. For the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Do you see what's happening here? The young man with prophetic promise, brilliant potential, wisdom, integrity, the one who analyzed the face of the butler, who knew the mind of the butler, even though the butler is dead, the one with the revelation of his mind is alive. And the one with the revelation of the mind of the baker is the one who's in charge of storing away grain to make bread. And here's the purpose of that bread. It shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. When pandemics happen and there's no church buildings, you still got bread. It's not like it's something different than community. We need this community. The Bible says, forsake not the assemblings of yourself together as the manner of some is, but even more so as you see the day approaching. But there's something in reserve so that the land doesn't perish. Verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. 
And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments. He got a mantle back. He put him in fine linens, and he put a gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. The one with the revelation was given access to the bread because the one who knows the mind of the baker gets access to the silos. And the one who gets access to the silos because he has inquired of the mind of the baker is also the one in charge of feeding the other's grain so that they can also make bread. You hear me very closely right now. There is an end time revival that is held for the people of God. But God is going to give it to the ones who have inquired of the mind of the baker. God is going to give it to those. Just because you've got prophetic promise, just because you've got brilliant potential talent, just because because you know how to conduct yourself. All of that is null and void unless you know how to inquire of the face and the mind of the baker. When you can let this baker bake, God is going to trust you with a harvest. God is going to trust you with storing up because he says, oh, they've been storing up on their mind what's been on my mind. Now I can send them those that are hungry for the bread. All the people had to come to Joseph, the one who knew the mind of the baker. All of them came around. I prophesied aside to the district of North Dakota and there's no accident that there are pastors in this room. I asked God what he wanted me to say to you tonight and he said tell those pastors that there is a revival for the state of North Dakota but I need them to get as passionate about my word as they are about my blood. Get as passionate about studying your Bible as you are about the oneness of God. Get all of the doctrines. Get them rooted down deep into your life. Teach them to your families. Teach them to the saints of God. Teach them to sinners. Invite people into your homes and open up the bread of life and teach them how to live because man doth not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Would you go and feed your cities? Not your potential. Not your prophetic ability but would you feed them something you've been inquiring of? Go and dig through every basket and when you get there make sure you're like Christ and when you get the bread say hey here's what I'm called to do with bread. Break it and give it. That's what we're called to do with the bread of life. It's not just for me to have cool revelations. It's for me to share the revelation. I believe that God is calling you pastors, you young people, you ladies. He's calling you into Bible studies like you never have before. In fact, brother, I want you to come and stand up here right now and I want you to come to these altars. I want all the pastors first to come up here. All of the pastors, I want you to come and line this, this podium up here. And I want all the saints of God to gather in behind them. I want all the young people to gather around these pastors as well. God has found great favor. I believe there's some men of God in this room right now who are passionate about the word of God. And God is going to confirm all the things that you have been doing. But God has a great harvest. It's in store for your churches. He has it. And God's going to diversify you where you're not the only one with bread. There's going to be some people in your churches that get passionate about the bread as well. And they're going to start joining with you in teaching Bible studies. I want those of you tonight, it's not 
just for the ministry. You've got a Bible as well. I want you, when they're preaching the word, you should have been reading it and you say, hey man, I understand it. I know what you're talking about. I'm following the message because I've been eating the bread as well. I want you to gather around behind them right now and I want you to pray for them, but I want you to get a burden as well. I want you to fall in love with the word of God like you never have before tonight. I want you to be so passionate about the word of God that it's not just a dry and dreary theological essay that's sitting on a shelf, but it is the face of God himself. It is the book that leads us to life. It is the book that teaches us how to conduct ourselves. It's the book that gives us prophecies. It is the book that extracts from us brilliant potential. It is the book that gives us integrity. It is the book that teaches us wisdom. It is the book of life. Fall in love with it right now. Get so in love with it that when your pastor preaches on Sunday, the moment he reads his opening text, you can't help but worship because your ears are not worthy to hear such words. Would you fall in love with this? Begin tonight. Analyze the face of the baker. Get Get a revelation of what's on that baker's mind. Would you consume the word? Read it. Don't just check it off of a list, but read it and then meditate on it all day. I want to know what that scripture means that I read this morning in my Bible time. If you will think about his word all day long, it's like baking bread. And that high priest named Jesus is walking through your minds and he's attracted to the scent of bread. Your cities want us to bring them bread. We are to break bread to those who gather around our communities and give it. Here's the thing that if if you will break the bread, God will give you more revelation. There's The bread was always designed to multiply that when God gives you a revelation, share it and God will give more revelation. When God speaks to you through the word, go and tell somebody what he said and God will give you more bread. Bread multiplies when you share it. Share the word of God and watch it multiply in your family. Share the word of God and watch it begin to multiply in your cities. Share the word of God. Open up your house to Bible studies. Open up your life to the word of God. Speak it. Talk about it. Preach about it in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. Think about it all day. Fall in love with it. Let it save you. Let it encourage you. Let it reprove you. Let it correct you. Come on, that's it. Let the baker bake. Whatever scriptures you have in your mind, I want you to begin to pray the word of God right now. That's what the angelic hosts will respond to. There's angels in this room right now. I can feel the presence of angels that have descended into this room and they're inquiring of you. When you begin to pray scripture, the heavens can back it up. Only heaven can back up his word. It won't back up mine. But when I pray the word of God, heaven backs it up. When I speak the word of God, heaven amens it. When I'm living what I'm preaching, Heaven goes and moves and signs follow it. Right now, God is going to respond to you. God's going to begin to deposit burdens within you right now. But an angelic host is going to begin carrying things. I can see angels going from here to cities, to each city that represents here tonight. Wherever you're from, I see angels going to those cities. And they're already preparing the way for you to go and deliver the bread. Come on, that's it. Without music right now, God is 
stirring something in our souls. We're responding to just the word alone without music right now. Can we just respond to his word? How beautiful it is. Meditate on the blood. The blood is good. Think about the Savior. Think about Calvary and let it move you to tears. Would you get your minds fixed on that baker and that butler? Would you see Jesus being the butler who is drinking the cup that we should have drank? Could you see him taking the cup out of our hands and saying, no, I'll drink the bitter cup. See that butler working on our behalf and let it drive us to tears. Let it drive us to a newfound appreciation for the blood of Jesus. And while we're there, begin to think about every word, every scripture that has challenged us, every word that has encouraged us, every word that has corrected us, every word that has directed us. Think about those words and rejoice and say, God, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for your word. I wouldn't have been sustained in that season if it weren't for your word. I wouldn't be here tonight worshiping you if it weren't for your word. I wouldn't be here with a sane mind if it weren't for your word. It's your word that keeps us. It's your word, oh God. And I worship you because you have given us your word. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for calling me as a minister of the word. God, let me do it ethically. Let me do it skillfully so that I don't butcher anybody with this this fillet knife. God, I want to be able to do it skillfully that when I minister, God, I'm removing the flesh of people by your spirit. Let me not butcher those that have offered themselves a sacrifice, but God, let me use your word skillfully by study so that I can help people get closer to you. God, this is our great calling as ministers. God, that we bring people before the throne, but we can't do that without word in our life. So Father, we submit ourselves to your word.